What I have in my hand here is a really, really thick book. The title of this book, Systematic Theology, it's written by Wayne Grudem, and it's an introduction to biblical doctrine. So when you think of something that is an introduction, usually you, you, you might not think of something this thick to introduce you to biblical doctrine. But this is the reason that I want to share this uh, with you as, a, as an example tonight. We have, uh, we've been walking slowly through Romans chapter 8, and there have been a number of doctrines that have been presented to you. There have been a number of things that have been heavy to understand, maybe heavy to comprehend. You may even be thinking on occasion, this is a lot for me to absorb. You know, I'm just, I, I'm just trying to figure out how to match my shirt and my, 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 my shorts. And you're asking us to really comprehend all of these really huge truths. Well, the reason I'm showing this to you is because the author of this big book, in the very beginning, he's dedicating it to a few people. One of the persons that he dedicates this book to is his pastor. So I don't want to thank my pastor because when I was 13 years old, he taught a class on Christian doctrine. So as a 13-year-old, a little younger than a lot of you, same age as some of you, who knows what's going through this guy's mind when his pastor is teaching him, teaching them biblical doctrine, but later on God uses it to help him to write uh, this helpful, helpful resource. One of my Outside the Bible, it, it's one of my favorite books to go to. So, uh, who knows? I, it'd be wonderful if we had some 13-year-olds uh, here who will one day um, write a big book on doctrine like that. And if you do, uh, my name's Nathan Sawyer. So, in your, in your dedication, you can, you can just, even if you don't remember the name, Summer Camp 2022, uh, that, the guy that spoke on Wednesday night uh, shared with us this Christian doctrine. All right, let's look at Romans chapter 8. I'm going to begin reading for us in verse 26 and read all the way through verse 30. Hear the word of the Lord. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Let's pray and ask for the Lord's help. Father, we thank you for tonight. And we pray, Lord, arrest, um, captivate our mind and our hearts for the next few minutes as we mind the depths of these wonderful truths. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, you may have picked up in the very first verse, uh, 26, like, likewise the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. That's a term that we may be familiar with, may not be as familiar with, but um, I, I consider myself uh, a very weak person. 
And when I say that, I'm not, I'm not offering that as uh, like false humility. I'm not saying that. So uh, hopefully someone will later on tonight kind of pull me to the side and just say, you know, you, you, you really are stronger than you think. I, I really, um, I, I, I really, I, I'm, re- I'm really not a smart person. I'm not an intelligent person. I don't know, uh, I don't know many things about anything in life. Here, let me give you a couple of examples. So my kids growing up, um, they really enjoyed having their, their, their mom put them to bed in the evenings. And they would usually cry if April were away and it were my time to put them down to bed because I didn't know their routine. So I tried to figure out this routine so that bedtime routines would go a little more smoothly uh, than what they normally would do. And so one night I'm sitting there putting Jaden to bed and I start, I sing a hymn. Here is love vast as the ocean. Why well, do not know all the lyrics to them? So what do you do when you don't know all the lyrics to the song? You, you sing what you do know, and then you kind of start humming and adding some stuff that may not be written in the hymn, but it is still theologically correct. But that didn't work with her. The next time it, it was my time to put her in bed, she's like, I don't like it when daddy puts me to bed. He doesn't know the hymn. He doesn't know the lyrics. It's like, okay, we'll fix that. So next time I put her down to bed, I get uh, my phone, a little flashlight like that. I take the hymn book with me. And so we're sitting there putting her to bed, and I start singing this hymn, Here is Love, Vast as the Ocean, verse by verse, line by line. Well, that wasn't good enough for her. She still didn't like that particular routine because I had to bring a flashlight and a hymn book in order to be able to sing the hymns accurately. Here's another example of just my weakness and my inability to do many things well in life. We got the kids a basketball goal for Christmas. So one of the basketball goals that you set in concrete. Had a friend of mine that came and helped me set in the concrete. We, we leveled it. Um, everything was good until I went to go put the backboard on. When I went to go put the backboard on, I realized there were two very clear labels that said backside. I set the basketball goal up backwards in concrete with two very clear labels in my face that said this goes on the back side so <clears throat> i tried to convince my kids that it, it's a way for us to get to know our neighbors so that uh, we can flip the goal the back way and they can shoot basketball from uh from our from our neighbors from our neighbor's yard but the weaknesses that i'm speaking about tonight are more about capability, what I'm capable of, or the examples I've gave, what I'm not capable of. But what the text tonight speaks about is the reality of things that we cannot do in our own strength. So some of you can hear the examples that I gave, and and that may encourage you some. You may think, man, I do stuff like that. Uh, probably just about everybody in the room, you, you'll, you'll go home tonight feeling a little bit better about your capabilities because you don't do dumb things like I've said that I've done. But this passage here speaks about things that we know and things that we do not know. What we do not know and what we know. It speaks of the kind of weakness that you and I do not have the strength or the capability To be able to do on our own. We have to have help. And that's where verse 26 
begins. The Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. So the first point tonight is what we don't know. Verses 26 and 27. We don't know how to pray as we ought. That's what Paul is saying. We don't know how to pray as we ought to pray. Now he's not saying that they do not know what prayer is. Or that they do not even know uh, how to pray or, or words to say. He's speaking of the inability we have to know how to pray how we ought to pray. Well, that brings forth a a really good question. How do we know? Who who sets the standard? Who's the one who says this is what prayer should consist of? Who's the one who says when you pray, this is what you ought to say in your prayer? Well, Paul answers that question for us. It is the Spirit who intercedes. It's the third person of the Trinity who intercedes. You know, it's, it, it's not that we don't know what prayer is, but in reality, we, we, we mix what we want with what God's Word clearly says. And oftentimes, we don't, we don't really know what to do when those two are in conflict with one another. We really don't know how we ought to pray. We don't know what to pray for because we're weak. Again, this is, this is not in reference to the capabilities that we have or that we don't have. What this is speaking to, this weakness that we have, is speaking to our, our very own sin and our very own suffering. You'll know that suffering is the context in Romans chapter 8. It's spoken of often. And so it's when we are going through these sufferings that we don't, we don't know all, the, the, uh, all that's involved that, that with the sufferings. Like we don't often know how to take that suffering to the Lord. We don't always know exactly what God is doing in those times of suffering. Suffering can confuse us. Suffering is going to be hard. Suffering can last a really long time. Suffering can just come upon us in ways that we're not expecting. We don't know how to handle that. All we know is that this is really tough and I need help. What kind of help do I need? I don't even know the kind of help that I need. Well, that's good news for us because the Spirit of God knows what we need even before we ask. He knows the requests even before they are on our lips. He he knows it all. And in our weakness, the Spirit of the living God is praying for you. He's praying for you. That's in suffering. What about in temptation to sin? Temptation to sin, there's always a battle that's going on in our inner man. And this battle is, do I want what I want? Or do I want what God wants? That, that's, what, that's the war. That's the conflict that's happening in the inner man. And there are a lot of times where we struggle with how to treat those occasions prayerfully. The Spirit of God interceding for us 
praying for us in accordance with God's will. The Spirit, with groanings too deep for words, He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, and the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of the Lord. How wonderful that news is. That in our weakness, we we don't know how to pray according to the will of God. But that doesn't mean that we are left by ourselves. That that doesn't mean that we are left in our suffering with nowhere to turn. That doesn't mean that we are facing the temptation to sin without clarity toward what obedience looks like and the strength that we need in that moment to say no to the sin and to say yes to Christ. Because the Spirit of the living God is praying for you. He's praying for you. He is praying for you. And it's not, it's, it's not, it's not some prayer that's just a bunch of mumbled stuff. There have been times where somebody has asked me to pray for them often, and I don't know I don't know how to specifically pray. I just pray. A general prayer when I don't really know the details. But this is not the occasion. This is not the situation. The one who searches hearts, he knows what's going on in your heart. The one who searches mind, he knows what's going on in your mind. He knows all things. And the Spirit of the living God's prayer for you is according to the will of our Father in heaven. That's how He's praying for us. So these aren't empty prayers. These aren't, these, aren't, these aren't the kind of prayers that somebody offers and you just think, man, they, they just didn't hear anything that I just said because they didn't ask uh, the Lord's help for anything that I just shared with them. No. The Spirit of the living God is praying in accordance with God's will. Well, what is the will of God? How do, we, how do we even know? the how, how can we who do not know the mind of God, we don't know the heart of God, we don't know all the plans and the purposes of the Father and of our Father in heaven. We don't know all of those things. And we don't have to know all of those things. But the Spirit of God is praying in accordance to God's will. We do know that the will of the Lord does involve us being conformed to the likeness of Christ. The Spirit is always praying that you and I will be more like Jesus. We do know that the Spirit of the living God is also praying, according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, this is the will of God, your sanctification, your holiness. The Spirit of the living God is always praying that we would live a holy life before the Lord. Spirit of the living God is praying for us in every way that we need, that we have a need, and in every way that we need help, that we need strength, that we need direction. To bring this on a personal level, let me ask you these questions. What do your prayers sound like 
when there's something that you really want? What do your prayers to God sound like when there's something that you really want? What do your prayers sound like when things uh, what do your prayers sound like when hard things are happening to you? What does it sound like when you take that to the Lord? What do your prayers sound like when you're confused on a decision? Some decisions are really easy. A lot of decisions are not so easy. You're trying to choose between two really good things. You don't know what to do. What does your prayer to your Father in Heaven sound like? What do your prayers sound like when you think about your relationship with Jesus? With understanding with uh, what God is revealing about Himself in His Word. Have you ever been praying and you've wondered, is there anybody on the other end of this prayer? Or how can I know if how I am praying would be in the category of an accurate prayer? Or I'm saying these things. Does the Lord hear? Is, is, he, is he hearing my request? Because I've been asking him for these things for a really long time. And I don't have any real sense that I have a clear answer from him. But one of the wonderful realities of now there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. One of the wonderful realities of no condemnation is that the Lord does hear. The Spirit of the living God is interceding for you. He, that's another word for He is praying for you according to the will of God. Jesus is our advocate before the Father. Jesus Christ is the perfect human representative. He is our perfect human representative before a father. When you think about an important request that you have to somebody that you don't really have access to, you often will think about, well, who's, who's the person who uh, has the closest relationship to them? Or who's the person that I can uh, ask to go ask this question for me because they're more likely going to get a yes um, than, than, than I, I see you grinning. You, you do it, don't you? Jesus is that person. If you want somebody to be a human representative for you before the Father, there's no better person than Jesus who laid down His life for us. In fact, that is the only prayers that the Father will hear are those that the perfect human representative Jesus Christ is saying to the Father on our behalf. That's Hebrews chapter 7. He's able to say to the othermost, all who draw near to Him, because Jesus always lives to make intercession for them, to pray for them. What's Jesus doing now? At the right hand of the Father, as our advocate, as our human representative. What's the Spirit of the living God doing right now? He's praying for you. He's praying for you in accordance with the will of the Lord. So that's what we don't know. We don't know. We don't know how to pray like we ought to. That's weakness. This world does not celebrate weakness. This, this, this world makes fun of weak people. But it's Jesus said, 
the meek are the ones who are going to inherit the earth. That weakness, humility, dependence, that's, that's what honors the Lord. God's not impressed with us. He's not impressed with our pride. But rather, He's pleased with our humility. So what do we know? Here's what we know, verses 28, 29, and 30. There are ten undeniable, unshakable, wonderful, magnificent, life-changing, eternal truths in verses 28 through 30. I think any one or all ten of these would make wonderful discussion in your teen group tonight, okay? I'm just trying to help you out there. Any of these would make wonderful discussion in that, in that discussion time. Here's the first one. God is at work. God is at work. Verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. God is actively at work. Here's the second truth. God is at work for the good of His people. He's doing something. He's up to something. And what He's doing, how He is working, is for the good of His people. All that God does for His people are considered good. Now remember, the context in this chapter is suffering. And that can make us, that can confuse us. How can suffering be good? It's good when it comes from the hand of a loving father. It's good when we know that God is the one who is sovereignly at work. It's good when we know that he has a purpose for all that he is doing. So God is at work. God is at work for the good of his people. God is at work in all things. Everything. There is nothing that goes on in this life that happens outside of the awareness and the full knowledge of God. We can, we can hide a lot of things. We can do a lot of things. There can be a lot of thoughts that go in our head that no one will ever know about. But God is at work for the good of His people in all things. We have a tendency at times to kind of compare um, some things that might be more important than other things. But everything that happens in life is important. You may uh, think about it like a huge decision that's coming up. That, that's going to grab your attention maybe more so than something that seems like it, it's, it's a little bit lower key that's happening in life. But God is at work in all things. He's at work not only in the things that we think are huge, but He's at work in the things that nobody else knows about. And He's at work, He's actively at work for the good of His people in all things. For those, He's at work um, in all things, for the good of His people, who love Him, and are called according to His purpose. 
That's five of them. All of God actively at work, engaged for the good of His people, for those who love Him, who are called according to His purpose. Again, there's nothing that happens in life that's outside the sovereign, loving hand of the Lord. He's aware of it all. And much of that, we don't know how to seek His face about. We don't know what to say. We don't know how to think about it. We don't know what to do with it. Not even sure why the Lord has brought that upon us. We may even want to end quickly. But we have the Spirit of the living God who intercedes according to the will of God. The same God who acts in a loving way toward His children in all things. Now we understand these truths about God that that helps us to know how to think about suffering in more helpful ways. The next five wonderful, undeniable, unshakable, magnificent, life-changing, eternal truths are found in verses 29 and 30. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom He predestined, He also called. Those whom He called, He also justified. Those whom He justified, He also glorified. That's the five of them right there. Foreknowledge, foreknew, predestined, called, justified, glorified. There's a whole lot going on in this tiny space. All of this, you heard Pastor Jordan pray at the beginning, all of this is considered the golden chain of redemption. Redemption being God's work in delivering us from the bondage of sin, delivering us to Himself through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ so that we can have life in Him. This is These two verses, in a very short, condensed, power-packed way, are helping us to see how God is at work for His glory, for our salvation. It begins with this, those whom He foreknew. The one, the people, the particular, the specific people that God knew beforehand. That's not just a common general knowledge. God knows all things. God knows all people. But He has a peculiar, a particular, a unique people that He has in mind here. His own chosen possession. And what we learn here, Paul's saying that those whom He foreknew, He also predestined. This this word foreknowledge, it's an affectionate term. Like we can know about people, but there's a unique knowledge that we have for the people who are in our own home. We, we, We know them. 
But even that illustration breaks down because we don't know all there is to be known about them. God knows all that there is to be known about everyone, but He's speaking in a very affectionate way of people that He knows beforehand. Those whom He predestined. This is a decision that God makes. A a determination that He makes before any of us were born. And this determination, this decision, there's two criteria with it. It's after the counsel of His own will. That's what Ephesians chapter 1 instructs. And it's based on His love. Deuteronomy chapter 7. God predestines, predetermines, decides beforehand those whom He knows affectionate knowledge of. And that's not based on our goodness. That's not based on our value. That's not based on anything that we bring to the table. That's not, that's not because God somehow thinks that we're going to add to His value and make better. It's all based on the counsel of His own will. Ephesians 1. And it's according to His love. It's a choice of love. It's a loving choice. God told the Israelites in Deuteronomy chapter 7, I didn't choose you because you're the greatest. You know why I chose you? I chose you because I loved you. There's nothing that you and I have, none of us here, because of our sin nature, none of us, None of us had anything within us that merits God's love, that's worth God's love, that deserves God's love. Our sinfulness, all our sinfulness does is it begs God to pour out His wrath upon us. And the only reason He doesn't pour out His wrath upon us is because of His love for us in the the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This foreknowledge, this predestined, that's all according to the loving will and counsel of our Father in heaven. And it doesn't break. There's, there's not any moment in this chain where it just stops or God decides to go a different direction. Because then He extends a call. An invitation for those whom he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, brothers, conforming us to the likeness of Christ. Those whom he predestined, he also called. It's an invitation. It's a specific internal call. Where the third person of the Trinity opens our eyes to see that we're sinners, that we cannot save ourselves, that we are bankrupt, that we are hopeless, that we are helpless, that we cannot do anything for our own salvation. That moment, the Holy Spirit makes us see that and in turn invites us, calls us urges us, compels us, commands us, tells us 
Put your faith in the only one who can save you. Your only hope is Jesus Christ to be conformed to the image and likeness of Christ. And guess what? That's what, the, that's what the Holy Spirit is doing when He invites us to put our faith and our trust in Him. Those whom He calls, He justifies. He is the one who declares us right. We don't, we don't come to God and declare ourselves right. Our prayers don't make us right. Our church attendance doesn't make us right. Our wanting to go to heaven and not to go to hell, that doesn't make us right. The only thing, the only act that can happen to make us right before God is this term, this word, this action, justification. For us to be declared sinless, free from the bondage of sin. Let me illustrate it in this way. You've all know the, uh, you know what a courtroom is. You've got a courtroom scene, there's a judge, there's a jury, um, there's a person that's on trial, this person's guilty. Everybody knows that this person committed the crime. He's confessed committing the crime. Well, the judge is about to give the sentence, and when the judge goes to give the sentence, instead of telling this, this person who's committed the crime, everybody knows he's committed the crime, instead of saying to him, you're, you're, you're done, you're, you're locked away, you're going to prison for the rest of your life, the judge says, you're free to go. You're free to go as if you never committed any crime. Well, we would all look at that and say, that's, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. Like, that's, that's so dumb. Like, that, that's not fair. That's not justice. That's not right. There's no... He, com, he committed the crime. He confessed the crime. Why are you letting him go free as if he had never committed the crime? The judge's answer to that would be because this person over here who not connected didn't commit the crime, has, has offered to stand in his place and bear all of the penalty for those crimes. In much greater ways, that's what Christ has done for us in our justification. We're the guilty ones. All the evidence is stacked against us. We deserve punishment. We deserve hell. We deserve wrath. We deserve that. And the only reason that we don't receive it, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, His atonement for our sins, this action of justification. And lastly, that we're glorified. Those whom He calls, He justifies, and those whom He justifies, He glorifies. That's a a wonderful term that speaks to the fact, this precious reality, that God's going to finish what He started. That's Philippians 1.6. For it is God, um, Philippians 1.6, He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete that work. Philippians chapter 2, For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. In Acts we see it's through many tribulations that you will enter into the kingdom of God. One day, Christ will return. And He will take us with Him and we will receive a glorified body that's incapable of sinning. That's a promise. That's a guarantee that we can look forward to. That's included in this unbroken chain of redemption. 
It's God's commitment to His glory. It's His faithfulness to His people. So I'm going to finish up in this way. I'm going to give you another, give you another example. How many of you have ever been to a parade before? Most of us have. Usually in parades, you're kind of, you're, you're fixed in one spot, right? Well, imagine if this parade, think of the Thanksgiving parade that happens uh, in New York City um, every, every Thanksgiving. It's several miles long. They work their way all the way down through Broadway. But people, there, there are millions of people who come and watch it every year, but you, you stay in your one spot. You can only see as far as your eyes go this way and as far as your eyes go this way. That's, that's how limited in what we can see. And what we see in front of us is always important to us. But God, He sees it all. He sees the beginning. He sees the end. And He sees every little detail of everything that happens in life. Life in front of us is always important. What's going on in your life right now is the most important thing to you. There's a lot that's in front of you. Some of you here are dealing with some temptations that you've never experienced before. Some of you are wrestling with suffering that is unimaginable for your age. You shouldn't be suffering like that. Some of you have decisions to make that many young people your age don't have to make. Or to say it another way, some of you are having to grow up much sooner than people your age. Some of you are carrying around some baggage that few, if anyone, here knows about. Life can feel very weighty. Being weak before Christ in prayer is a good place to be. Putting your hope in the knowledge and work of God in your salvation from birth to glory is a good place to be. God is at work in your salvation through prayer and through the promise that He will keep you to the end. God is at work in your life. The Spirit is praying for you according to God's will. Trust Him. Love Him. Go to Him. Depend upon Him. Pray for His help in your weakness. He tells us we're weak. Don't fight that. Embrace it. That's a good place to be. Weakness leads to humility, which leads to dependence, which then leads to confidence in God. God is at work toward your glorification, which is already secured in the person and work of Christ. And because we know, and because God knows what He's doing in our life, we can pray to Him in our weakness. Trusting that the Spirit of the living God is praying for us now according to the will of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you that your Spirit is praying even now. That we would love you. That we would obey you that we'd lean upon You, that we would trust You. We thank You that in our weakness, Your grace is enough. Your grace is sufficient.
So help us, Lord, in our weakness and in our humility to cry out to you in faith. We thank you and praise you for all the ways that you're at work in our life for your glory. Get the glory in our life, we pray in Christ's name.